All right, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commandments. It's hard to believe we are, we are already in February of 2023. Time really passes rather swiftly, so we know we're getting closer and closer to the end. This is why it is good for us to study and analyze and be inspired by the book of Revelation. We are currently studying Revelation chapter 14. And before we proceed to Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, just as a quick uh, summary, last week we talked about the beast and the Antichrist. And when we studied how they originated and what they represent, we know it's not good for the whole world. So Revelation 13, Satan, the beast, the false prophet, are poised to take over the world. However, we learn in Revelation 12, Revelation 11, there are those who are going to be raptured or harpazoed, and they will be in heaven when the events of Revelation 14 and Revelation 13, Revelation 14 continue to take place. So uh, it's for many people when they read Revelation 13, they're concerned, they're frightened, and sometimes maybe they lose hope. However, it's a good thing the Apostle John now shifts away from Revelation 13 to Revelation 14. Revelation 13, his focus was on the earth. And then in 14, verse 1, he shifts the focus to give the reader some inspiration and hope. And so Revelation 14, verse 1, uh, then I looked, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him. 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And so at the opening of Revelation 14, 1, we can see the shift, right, from earth to Mount Zion. And there's a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Now, who do you suppose the lamb is? That is a no-brainer. That is, of course, our king, Yahusha, the lamb of God. So we have the lamb, we have King Yahusha standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And so the 144,000 obviously knows the name of our father, Yahuwah. And so we know that the 144,000, they honor the name. They revere the name of Yahuwah, which is why it says the father's name was written on their foreheads. And so they proclaim and call upon the name of Father Yahuwah. Now, what does it mean that the Lamb is standing on Mount Zion? What Mount Zion is being referred to here? In the book of Hebrews 12, 22 to 23, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And so which is this Mount Zion that the apostle John describes upon which the Lamb of God is standing upon together with the 144,000. It is the heavenly Jerusalem. And so apostle John in Revelation 14.1 is given a vision of heaven, the temple perhaps, and the lamb standing there together with the 144,000. So the 144,000 are with the King Yahusha, and they are perhaps performing functions and duties there in the temple, in the kingdom of heaven, in the heavenly Jerusalem. So, so who are the 144,000? Because obviously they are blessed because they're together with the Lamb of God in the new Jerusalem or in the heavenly Jerusalem. So is the 144,000 of Revelation 14, the same 144,000 mentioned in Revelation chapter 7 and the verses 4? We studied Revelation 7, 7 and the verses 4 before. And so let's go back to Revelation 7, 4 down to 8, so that we can answer the question, is Revelation 14, 1, where it says, Hundred, the 144,000, is it the same as the 144,000 of Revelation 7-4? Let's look at Revelation 7-4-8. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. 
of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed, of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And so who were the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation chapter 7, and the verses are 4 down to 8. It is, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. So they are Hebrew in ancestry. They are the flesh and blood of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. They are the people of Yisrael by blood, who are called because the Bible says they were sealed. And so they received the seal because they are added into the body of our king, Yahusha. You are sealed when you belong to our king, because when you belong to the king, to Yahusha, when you're baptized into his body, you receive the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is Yahusha manifested in you through the Spirit. This is why this speaks of the work of Yahusha and the work of bringing people to Yahusha, which will begin, and it will also include the people of Israel. We studied this before. It is the event or it is the work of the, the beginning of the work of calling the people of Israel from different parts of the world by getting them into our king, Yahushua. So the 144,000 who were sealed in Revelation 7, are they the 144,000 in Revelation, Revelation 14.1? Let's go back to Revelation 14.1. This is what it says. And with him, 144,000. Question, what's missing in the phrase, with him, 144,000? It should kind of jump out at you. Because keep in mind, the 144,000 in Revelation 7 was mentioned already, right? And so there's already an identity of the 144,000 who would be sealed during the work of sealing, which will take place during the seventh seal. And so that's a group that's been identified already. And so if that group is the one also being identified here in Revelation 14.1, what should be added in front of the word one? It should be the definite article. If it is referring to the 144,000 of Revelation 7.4, because it was already identified as the 144,000, then the one here in Revelation 14.1 should have a definite article in, in front of it. It should say, and with him, the, the 144,000, referring to the 144,000 mentioned already in Revelation 7, 1. So there's no definite article in Revelation 14, 1. It says 144,000 and not the 144,000. And so it's a 144,000 that is not the specific 144,000 mentioned in Revelation chapter 7, and the verse is 4. Why else do we believe that the 144,000 in Revelation 14 is not the 144,000 in Revelation 7? Revelation 14, 2 down to 3, and I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, it were, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. The Bible mentions that this 144,000 are those who were redeemed from the earth. In other words, it does not specify the tribes of Yisrael, but all human beings, all nationalities of the earth, because it says it is of the earth, then it includes all nationalities. This is why it's not specific to the people of Yisrael. And so the 144,000 in Revelation 14 is distinct from the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. Now, what makes the 144,000 in Revelation 14 distinct and unique? The Bible says they are able to sing this new song. 
and no one else is able to sing this new song. And so they are different because they have the ability to somehow understand what this new song is about and actually sing the new song. This is why I think we need to get some singing lessons so that we can be included. Of course, that's a joke, maybe not a good joke, but it's not referring to our ability to sing, but in this case, it's somehow connected to being able to sing a new song. What this tells us is there's a group from which the 144,000 come from, right? And so this 144,000 belong to a bigger group, but this 144,000 different from the bigger group are able to sing this new song. And so this tells us there's a big group of human beings redeemed from the earth who are already in heaven, who are already harpatsa. Because before this event, we talked about the harpatsa, right? The seventh trumpet and the uh, event where the heavens were opened. And we know that Yahusha is going to bring the mature followers of his. And so we believe they're already in heaven. And in heaven, this bigger group, Yahuwah sets apart a smaller group, the 144,000. And so the 144,000 were redeemed from the earth. And so it's not specified by just the people of Yisrael in ancestry, but those who belong to Yahusha and are able to sing a new song. And so what does it mean that... Uh, so who are who is the 144,000? Why are they called the 144,000? Well, let's keep reading verse 4. It says, these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who followed the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And so we have here that the 144,000 it mentions that these were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. The word being is, a, is actually not in the manuscript. It's added in the English translation. But in actuality, the word being is not there, so it should be read this way. These were redeemed from among men, first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And when it says here, redeemed from among men, it doesn't mean it's just male, because the word men in Greek is anthropos, which is human being, whether male or female. And so there's a group of people who represent first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And from this first fruits to God and to the Lamb, there's going to be one who, which is set apart, which would be the 144. Thousand. Now, what does it mean that there are these men who became first fruits to God and to the Lamb? In Hebrews, we read earlier, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who were registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So we know uh, the group of people from which Yahuwah sets apart the 144,000 are those who belong to the church of the firstborn. Remember, the church represents the body, but the body of Yahusha is composed of different parts, right? And there is a group which would be Harpazo first, those who are going to be going to heaven before the reign of the beast. And there are those who are going to go to heaven after the reign of the beast, but they're still both belonging to the body of Christ, or they are they belong to the assembly or church of Christ. But there's a group which is identified as the church of the firstborn. They are the ones who get the opportunity first to go to heaven, to be harpazoed in heaven. They would represent that first group. That's why they're the first fruit. And so they're going to be in heaven. From that group, Yahuwah sets apart the 144,000. So these were redeemed from among men, from the, from the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And it, it, it is, it's, they're called the 144,000. So the 144,000 
of Revelation 14.1 were set apart from the first group of people who were harpazo to heaven. And why would they be harpazo to heaven? What And why does the Bible say that the 144,000 is distinct from the rest of the group? That's because we know, according to scriptures, when we get to heaven, we will not all have the same function. We will not all have the same splendor. We will not all have the same affiliation with our King Yahushua Christ. In other words, we will have different duties, different offices. Some people think when they get to heaven, all they're going to do is sing and do nothing else. We will have specific duties, brethren. We will have specific functions, and the functions will be according to our splendor. You know, in heaven, there's a hierarchy. I mean, ever since the earth was made, there was already a hierarchy. He was at the top. Of course, Yahuwah, right? Then Yahusha. There's a hierarchy even before Yahusha was sent to earth. And so there's a hierarchy of angels. There's a hierarchy of angelic beings or celestial beings. In heaven, there's a hierarchy. And there's going to be also a hierarchy when we get to go to heaven. And this hierarchy is reflective of the splendor that the person who's in heaven possesses. And Apostle Paul spoke about that in Corinthians 15, 39 to 41. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the star and star differs from star in splendor. According to Apostle Paul, although he's describing physical objects here, sun, the moon, the stars. He tells us, because the context of 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of our body. When you read 15, it talks about what Yahushua will do. He will bring death beneath his feet. He will conquer all things. And the last enemy to fall is death. And so Yahushua, 1 Corinthians 15 is about the triumph of our King Yahushua. And eventually Yahushua surrendering all things to Yahuwah, so that Yahuwah will be all in all. So it'll be Yahuwah first, and Yahusha second, because he will uh, submit himself to Yahuwah. So the hierarchy is explained by the Apostle Paul in Corinthians 15. In this hierarchy, he speaks about celestial uh, splendor. And even amongst the stars, the class of celestial object called stars, you have one star having more splendor or glory than the other. And so when we all get to heaven, in heaven, we will also fall on the hierarchy. We will have different splendors. We will all have different glories. We will have different function. And what would determine our function? What would determine our brightness, our splendor in heaven? Revelation 22 and the verses 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. What is the basis by which the hierarchy for those who belong to Christ, who are in heaven, who are saved, what is the basis for determining their splendor? The Bible says it is according to the reward. You get more reward, you get more splendor. Make sense? You get more reward, you have a higher hierarchy, a higher ranking. Make sense? I mean, we're all going to be saved if you belong to Yahushua. But where we are going to be in that hierarchy will determine on our works. Because the Bible says, my reward is given to everyone according to his work. This is why Apostle Paul said, remember, in Corinthians 15, do not consider your works useless. Everything we do in the name of our King Yahushua, it has an effect. It bears fruit because it will determine our splendor in the kingdom of heaven. This is why even though all of us are going to be saved because we belong to Yahushua, you know, our splendor will be different, right? And of course, there are people who are working really hard and Yahuwah knows all their hard work and sacrifice. And many, may perhaps nobody can see it. Nobody knows about it, you know, because there are many people who do many good things in secret and only the Father knows. The Bible says they're going to be rewarded. 
It's the way of the justice, the justice and fairness of our Father Yahuwah. So it's going to be a basis by which a person is going to be judged or de to, to, to determine what kind of work they're going to do in the kingdom of heaven. This is why when a person is harpazo, when the seventh trumpet is blown, what's going to happen afterwards in the book of 2 Corinthians 5.10, uh, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so according to scriptures, those who are harpazo, at the sound of the seventh trumpet, those who belong to Yahushua, and they are transformed. They're going to face the judgment seat of Mashiach. And we're going to be judged. Our works that we have done will be judged. And so good works and bad works, that's all going to be evaluated by the judge, our King Yahushua. And based off of that, it's going to be determined whether or not we're going to receive a good place. Although when you think about it in context, everything's a good place in heaven, right? But there are those who will have a higher position. And so the 144,000 of Revelation 14 were set apart from the first group of people who were harpazo to heaven. So those who did really well at the judgment of Christ, the bima seat of judgment, those who really do well, and Yahushua is pleased with their works, they could be included among the 144,000. If you notice the 144,000, what is their privilege? The Bible says these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And so wherever the Lamb goes, He takes with Him the 144,000. And so in terms of you know, the structure, for example, the political structure of the United States, you have the president and you have his cabinet members. And so the 144,000 would probably be the cabinet members, those who are closest to our king, Yahushua. And so there's going to be the 144,000, the privileged ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes, and the rest of the body. This is why in the Holy Scriptures, there's always those who belong to Christ are likened to both the body and the bride. You notice that? And so those who are really close to Yahushua, those who will be among the 144,000, they more are likened to the bride. But everyone who belongs to Yahushua belongs to the body. But there's a subset of the body that is very close to Yahushua, and they are the 144,000 considered the bride of Yahushua. This is why what do we need to do to be counted among the bride, the 144,000? Bible says we should not be defiled with women for they are virgin. In other words, we are supposed to be virgins. Wait a minute. What does that mean? That we're going to be physically virgins? That's not what it's talking about. What does it mean that the bride, the 144,000, would be virgins? In 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself, I promised you, as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Yahushua than the one we preach, or a different spirit than the one you receive, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. And so how can a person be considered a virgin? The Bible says when their pure and undivided devotion to Christ is not corrupted. They remain pure virgins as bride of our king, Yahushua. Who are those who are considered pure and undivided in their devotion to Yahushua? The Bible mentions three things, right? They don't preach and accept a different Yahusha. Because Apostle Paul says time will come when, because of the craftiness of the enemy, there's going to be many different versions of the Messiah. There's many different versions of the Messiah, and there's a true Messiah. Who is the true Messiah? The one preached by the apostles. This is why we have to compare our understanding, our belief of the Messiah with what the apostles preached, right? It can't be different from the 
the Messiah that the apostles preach because they're the primary witnesses of who Yahusha is. So if we deviate from what Yahusha or from what the apostles preached about Mashiach, then it's no longer the true Mashiach. This is why we believe the true Mashiach is not God by nature. He's the son of God, right? But he's not the second person of the Trinity. So we don't believe in the Trinity because the first century apostles never preached about a Trinity, right? And so we need to make sure the Christ we believe in is the Christ preached by the apostles. Question. I want you to think about this logically. The apostles in the first century, when they preached about Mashiach, did they call him Jesus? Did they call him Jesus? No, that's impossible. Why? Because Jesus is an invention, right? I mean, the, the letter J was not invented until, when was it? The 1500s or 1600s? Some, some time ago, right? And so the apostles never called Christ Jesus. This is why we are going back to how the apostles would call and refer to the king because the angel that was sent by Yahuwah that would give him the name that is above all names, the name of, the name of salvation, it was specifically given so that it would be the fulfillment of the name mentioned in Zechariah, the branch, which is Yahusha, because it bears the name of Yahuwah, and it represents the greatest manifestation of love of Yahuwah, so that Yahusha means Yahuwah saves because of the great sacrifice of Yahuwah and our king, Yahusha. So that's the Yahusha you know, we need to grasp and preach and so we must not deviate from that. What else? Do not receive a different kind of spirit. Do not receive a different kind of gospel. There are many people today who are preaching so many different varieties of gospels. This is why we have to test everything. We have to compare everything to the days and times of the first century apostles. That is going to be our standard. And so that is how we can be pure to one husband divided, undivided, and pure devotion to our King, Christ Yahusha. What also is the characteristic of the 144,000? Revelation 14.5, and in their mouth uh, was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So morally, according to the Holy Scriptures, they are without fault. In other words, they follow the commandments of Yahuwah Abba. Because according to scriptures, the standard by which we determine if a person is at fault are the laws of Yahuwah. Does it mean that they're perfect? No. But it does mean, generally speaking, their moral life is one which is there's no deceit and without fault. And so among those who are going to be taken to heaven or caught up in heaven, is going to be set up set apart from them the 144,000. Whether or not we make it to the among the 144,000, um, we should be thankful if we're already included in the harpatsa, right? If we are among those who are going to be the first fruits or the firstborn and be included in the assembly of the firstborn, because it would mean. That when the beast powers would reign, we would not have to face it. We would escape this wrath that is to come upon the whole world. But how about for those who are left behind? How about for those who did not make it to the catching up in the air, the harpazo in the seventh trumpet? What would happen to them? Well, Apostle John is not yet finished. And so the rest of the content of Revelation chapter 14 would focus now on those who will be left behind. In other words, um, those who are going to be left behind, they should read Revelation 14, right? I think we should all read it just in case any of us should be left behind because it tells us basically a tribulation survival guide. The Revelation 14 includes a portion that teaches a person who is left behind what they need to do so that they would not perish. Instead, they will receive uh, salvation through Christ Yahushua. So what is this tribulation survival guide entail? What does it include? Let's read. 
Revelation 14, 6 to 7. I saw another angel flying overhead with the everlasting good news to spread to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. The angel said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the time has come for him to judge, worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and spring. So what's the first thing that a person needs to do if they're left behind after the, the rapture or the harpazo? Well, the Bible tells us that there are people who still live on earth, right? You see that in verse 6? I saw another angel flying overhead. The everlasting good news is spread to those who live on the earth. So there are people who are still on earth in, while we read Revelation 14, 6. And so what is the message of Yahuwah for them? You need to look into the good news. The Bible says he saw another angel flying overhead with the everlasting good news to spread. And so does it mean that after the harpazo, on earth, when the beast powers rise into, the, uh, uh, into power, does it mean there's going to be an actual angel who's going to be preaching? Could be. You don't know. But if we are to look at the pattern of the, event, the events that take place after an angel is released, right? In the, 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 for example, the trumpet events, the seal events, what we see is not really a physical involvement of an angel where the people see the angel itself, right? But what we see is the effect. And so oftentimes, the angels in the vision of the Apostle John, it's a way of communicating to him what's going to happen according to the timeline. And so here, he sees another angel. And what this event corresponds to is the spreading of the good news. Why? Because the good news is required for people to receive salvation. Well, what is the good news about? It's pointing people to who? Yahusha, that they need to place their faith in Yahusha to receive salvation. So the angel says with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Worship the one who made heaven and earth. Don't worship the, the beast. Don't worship Satan. Because Satan and the beast, they're created beings. No matter how powerful Satan may be, they're created we're not supposed to worship the created. We're supposed to worship who? The creator. And so the angel tells us, don't worship the beast. Don't worship Satan. Don't worship the Antichrist. Worship the creator. Worship the creator by being included in the body of our king, Yahusha. That's what the good news is all about. So after giving this general statement, this announcement that people need to adhere to the good news, what is the next message of Yahuwah in the book of Revelation 14, 8, and another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So after the angel, the first angel, uh, announces the good news and how people need to rely on the good news, right? To rely on the power of Yahusha and the power of Yahuwah for their salvation. Next comes Babylon. Now, what is Babylon all about? Well, it mentions Babylon is fallen, that great city. And so Babylon is responsible for making nations drink of the wine of wrath and her fornication. So according to this angel, many people are going to perish because many people are going to be deceived by this Babylon. Now, what is this Babylon all about? We're going to study all about Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. Because in Revelation 17 and 18, it tells us what Babylon is, the woman who was named Babylon, the harlot, right? And its relationship to the beast power and Satan. And so all of this is telling us in Revelation 14 gives us an advanced preview of what's going to happen to this Babylon. In Revelation 17 and 18, it details the fall of Babylon. So when we go to Revelation 17 and 18, we're going to see the origin of Babylon and the demise of Babylon. Just like in Revelation 11, it introduces us to the beast. In Revelation 12, it kind of gives us the detail. Revelation 13, it gives us the details about the beast. And so Revelation 14, where we are introduced to this Babylon, but it's going to detail it in Revelation 17 and 18, because Revelation 14 is just giving us an advanced preview of the events ahead. So there's going to be the gospel that's going to be preached. Many people are going to be convinced by the gospel. 
which is good for those who are left behind, right? Number two, Babylon has fallen. So that is good because Babylon will be instrumental in deception. It will be instrumental in oppression. And so because of the persecution, it's good when the people hear that Babylon is going to be eventually destroyed. It's going to fall. Fallen is Babylon. And then the next angel, what does he announce? What does he say? Revelation 14, 9 to 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worships the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So according to the third angel, no matter what happens, those who are left behind, no matter what happens, never, ever, ever worship the beast and his image. Never, ever receive the mark on your forehead or on his hand. Because if you worship the beast, if you receive the mark of the beast, the Bible says what is in store is the wrath of Elohim, and they'll be tormented with, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so the, the, the three angels in succession, we need to follow what they say to us, right? We need to follow those who are left behind because that's the key in surviving this tribulation period. Number one, adhere to the gospel meaning place your hope and trust in Yahusha as taught by our father, Yahuwah. Worship Yahuwah, the creator of all things. Number two, reject Babylon. Even though they can be enticing, even though they can be seducing, reject Babylon. Number three, never accept worship of the image of the beast. Do not worship, worship the beast. Do not receive the mark of the beast. Okay? So that's how you survive, right? That's how you survive uh, tribulation. And so if one is faithful, if one adheres to Yahusha, what would, what, what would happen to them in the event that they are put to death? Because if you're going to reject the beast and re reject the image of the beast and reject the mark of the beast, if you're going to reject Babylon, what do you think is going to happen to you? You'll probably be put to death, right? Because there's going to be oppression like what we studied before, either those among the saints who adhere to the gospel and preach Yahusha among them, they're going to be either held captive, right, captivity, or they would be killed. So either they would be captives or they would be killed. I don't know, maybe some concentration camp where they bring all the saints to torment them and to persecute and oppress them. And so, and those who are going to rebel against the beast, they would probably be put to death, right? And so according to scriptures, if one is martyred, if one is put to death because of their conviction that Yahusha is the only king, and so they reject the beast and reject the image of the beast, what, it, what would happen to them if they were to die? Revelation 14, 12 to 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yahusha. And so those who keep the faith of Yahusha are the ones who, even if they were captured by the beast, and are asked by the beast, recant your faith. This is like what happened during the days of the first century. And so this pattern repeating again. During the days of the first century, many people were imprisoned. And the emperors of Rome would require them to recant their faith, to reject Yahusha. But they would insist, no, Yahusha is my king. I will not worship you. You're not my king, even though you're the emperor of Rome. You're not my king. You're the king of Rome, but you're not my king. Yahusha is my king. And so what will happen to them? They were killed. And they were tormented, right? And so here, the Bible mentions about the blessing of those who keep their faith in Yahusha and keep the commandments of God, meaning even if they were held captive, even if they resisted, you know, they would resist the oppression, the persecution, even, even if they were to be killed because of the faith in Yahusha, what, did, what voice was heard? And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who died in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their neighbor, from their labors, and their works follow them. And so it tells us for those who die because of Yahusha, 
it's actually a relief. It's actually a blessing. It's a blessing because they will find relief from all the oppression and the persecution. It'll be a relief because the Bible says their works follow them, right? Blessed are those who die in the Lord. They need to make sure they do not reject their faith in Yahusha, but remain in faith in Yahusha. For them, even if they were to die, they are going to be blessed because they will receive salvation. They'll be included among the body of Yahusha. And so this is the message of these angels. And so eventually, time will come when this period of testing, this period of tribulation will come to an end. And when will that be? Revelation 14, 14 and 16. Then I looked and behold a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And so here, the next vision is about the Son of Man on a cloud wearing a golden crown with a sharp sickle in his hand. Right? Who is that Son of Man? Yahusha. Uh, there are those who say, no, that can't be Yahusha. Do you know why? Um, they say it's not Yahusha. Because verse 15, it says, uh, in verse 15, when you, look, when you read verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap. And so it appears that there's this angel who's commanding Yahusha to do something, right? I mean, Yahusha, is he going to bow down to an angel? Is he going to rece receive instruction from an angel? No. You know what I think that is? I think Yahusha sent the angel to kind of determine the condition of the earth. And so the angel determines the condition of the earth and reports to Yahusha, it's time. Because the angel says, thrust in your sickle, right? For the time has come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is right. And so I believe, it's just my conjecture, that Yahusha sends his angel to determine the condition of the earth. And then the angel reports, oh, it's time, to, it's time to do it because it's ripe, right? So he, responding to the report of the angel, so basically the angel is just reporting. He's reporting the condition of the earth to the one who is the son of man. And so see, so he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And so the report of the angel included this statement, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, what does that mean? That the harvest of the earth is ripe. The Greek word used for ripe, as you can see from the Blue Letter Bible, ripe is the Greek word G5, uh, G3583, which is serino, which means to dry up, to wither, to become dry, to be withered, to waste away like a withered hand. In other words, it's like overly ripe, right? And so the word ripe in this context is used in a negative way. Meaning it's reached the point where it should be punished. You see, Yahuwah is a long-suffering God. And so Yahuwah waits until the, the earth reaches a, the full measure of its sin before it is punished. That's what the angel is measuring. Has it reached the full measure of the sin allotted to her? This is similar to what was written in Genesis, remember, 15, 16? It will be four generations before your descendants come back here because I will not drive out the Amorites until they become so wicked that they must be punished. So Yahuwah waited for four generations before punishing the Amorites. He waited the full measure of sin. And so the same thing when it comes to the reporting of the angel, he said it's ripe. In other words, it's ripe for punishment. It's ripe for judgment. It's ready to be judged. And so Yahusha says, in verse 16, the Bible says, so he who sat on the, the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. And so that was the day of reaping. What does that mean? That the earth was reaped. What does that day represent? Matthew 13, 37 to 41. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field 
It's the world, and the good seeds are the ones of the kingdom, are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And so when our King Yahushua said in Revelation 14, after the report of the angel, uh, reporting that the earth is already ripe for punishment, when Yahushua takes his sickle to reap the earth, it means it's harvest time. And when it's harvest time, uh, there are two ways by which the harvest is done. There's a harvest for, for salvation, and there's a harvest for dam damnation, right? And so the harvest or the reaping refers to the end of the world. That's when Yahushua returns to the earth, not to the cloud, but to the earth. So from the cloud to the earth, to execute judgment upon all the way Yahushua will do this is the angels will collect. I mean, in the analogy, in the parable that Yahushua gave, the angels will be like reapers. They're going to gather and they're gonna bundle together these uh, the weeds so they are to be burned. This is why in Revelation 14, when we keep reading, then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And so this tells us the, uh, the, uh, the parable that was taught by Yahushua in Matthew 13. This is what is being described by the apostle John here. Another angel, the angels who are reapers are going to be sent out to bring together all the evil people. And they will be reaped, reaped for punishment. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle saying, thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. For her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trampled outside the city and blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. And so according to Revelation, this is, by the way, the last verses of Revelation 14. This is how it all ends for the earth. And so basically what we have in Revelation 14 are, is the description of the events that will take place when Yahushua returns to the earth. And there's going to be judgment. And in this judgment, the people who go against Yahushua, who go against Yahuwah, they're going to be destroyed. They're likened to grapes. And uh, they're likened to grapes, but grapes are, that are harvested not for drinking wine, but to be punished. And so in the wine press, the grapes, you know, during the days when uh, of the apostles, the way you produce wine is you have like a wine press. You put all the, uh, the, the grapes in there and you kind of stomp on it. You trample on it with your feet, right? And you kind of just trample all over it. And then the juice comes out and you collect the juice so that you can convert it into wine. But in this case, look what happens to the grapes. It produces what? Not wine, but blood, yeah, right? And so how much blood? The Bible says that blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, which is like the length, more than the length of the, the promised land. That's, and then it's a, a, the height of the blood. This tells us there's a, a, a lot of bloodshed, right? And so this description of judgment upon those who are on the earth when Yahushua returns, it's, gonna, it's going to result in a lot of bloodshed. This tells us, complete victory of Yahusha over those who were going to go against him. And so this is described as the great winepress of the wrath of God. I believe in some prophecies in Isaiah, it also describes that. I believe Isaiah 63 and even Ezekiel 18, it describes the winepress of the wrath of God. In Revelation 19, it also describes it. Revelation 19, this is when Yahusha returns, right? Revelation 19, Yahusha returns to the earth. He was clothed with a, a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him 
on white horses. I believe this is the 144,000 because they follow him wherever he goes, right? Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it, he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And if you keep reading Revelation 19, it speaks of the carnage, the bloodshed of the armies of the Antichrist and all the nations of the world who will join the Antichrist and the beast. And they're described in the Holy Scriptures as being torn into pieces, blood everywhere. And the, the eagles and the vultures are coming in and eating the flesh of these people who are killed and put to death. So it's a bloodbath in Revelation 19, as it is in Revelation chapter 14. And so here's Yahusha. He's going to win the war. He will capture the beasts, the Antichrist. Satan's going to be imprisoned, right? And so what would happen to the armies in heaven? Those who join Yahusha. Well, in Revelation 20, this is what happens next. And I saw thrones. And they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And so were they, those who were included in the harpazo, those who were caught in heaven, right? And I believe most of, uh, I think they are the ones, the 144,000, they're going to be sitting on the thrones. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Yahushua and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their, or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand year, years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the Bible tells us after this vision where he sees the people sitting on thrones, which are those who belong to Yahushua, including the Harpazo, being caught up in the air, right? They're sitting on thrones, but he also sees people who were beheaded because of Yahushua. He also sees people who did not receive the mark of the beast on their foreheads and on their hands. And so they were triumphant over the beast. They were triumphant over the Antichrist and the false prophet. And so they too would receive a blessing. The Bible says those who were dead, who, who were martyred because of the word, they would also be resurrected. And so there's this first resurrection. This is not the first resurrection. This is the first of two resurrections that's going to come after Yahushua returns to earth. The reason why it mentions first resurrection is to make it distinct from the second. What's the second? The resurrection after the millennium. And so when Yahushua returns to the earth to usher in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be two resurrections. The one before, the one after. That's why it's called first and second resurrection. However, at the sound of the seventh trumpet, there was already a resurrection. Those who belong to our king, Yahushua. And so after the beast comes into power, there's also going to be another resurrection for those who, over, who are loyal to Yahushua to the point that they die because of their testimony about Yahushua and because of the testimony of the word of Elohim. So they'll be resurrected too, and they will rule with our king, Yahushua, for a thousand years. And this is why even if they were to die, the Bible says in Revelation 14, they are blessed because their works will follow them. And because of that, they will also rule. Their works would, first of all, they'll be resurrected, they'll be saved, but their works would make them one of the rulers who will co-rule with our king, Yahushua. So their works will follow them. What must, we, what, what must they do? They must keep the commandments of God and remain faithful to Yahushua, even if it means having to be martyred, even if it means having to die for the sake of Yahushua and for the sake of the word of Yahuwah. And so according to scriptures, there are people who are going to survive the, uh, the beast powers, right? The tribulation, there's gonna be people who's going to go through the tribulation and receive a great blessing. Do you know how many? How many do you think? Well, I don't know. But according to Revelation 7, 9 to 12, this is what it says. And these things I looked. This was the Yahuwah. Yahusha gave like a, a vision to Apostle John, Revelation 7, about 
how it all ends. And this is what he includes in a vision. He says, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So how many are going to come out of the great tribulation? The Bible says as a great multitude. From where? From different nations. I mean, when you envision the events that will transpire, you see the two witnesses, right? And then after the two witnesses uh, come, the beast kills them. And then the two witnesses are resurrected and they will, they will ascend to heaven. A lot of people are going to be afraid. They're going to revere Yahuwah, right? And then eventually uh, those who belong to Yahushua will also be harpazod. And there's going to be a lot of rumblings. A lot of people are going to be talking. And many, I believe, many are going to be moved to repentance. And many are going to adhere to the gospel because the, the angel that will be sent will make sure the gospel is preached somehow. The gospel is spread somehow. I don't know how that angel is going to do it, but somehow, some way, many people are going to receive the gospel. And this tells us the mercy of Yahuwah, right? Even people who maybe have not received the gospel, they're going to get the opportunity during the events that transpire after the harpazo, human beings who are left behind, they're going to get the opportunity. And this opportunity is not going to be fruitless. It's going to be fruitful. Because the Bible says, how many? A great multitude from nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. That's a lot of people. A great multitude. Well, how, are, how do we know for sure they are the ones who will come out of the great tribulation? Well, we just need to keep reading 1317. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out. For you to come out, you have to get in. <laughs> the Bible says those who come out of the, there's a definite article. So it's speaking not about tribulation, but the great tribulation. There's many tribulations, right? There's tribulation in the first century. There's tribulation right now, but there's the tribulation. And so there are people who are going to come out. For you to come out, you need to first enter it. So these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. So they will join the first group. Remember the first group called the Church of the Firstborn? The first ones who are going to go to heaven to worship God in the temple there, they're going to be joined by those who will come out of the great tribulation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, serving day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them in, uh, to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away, wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so this tells us. For those who are left behind, Yahuwah's mercy continues until the very end. And the compassion of Yahuwah Abba, he's long-suffering. He's going to give mankind every opportunity. This is why we cannot blame Yahuwah if a person will not be saved. If a person still will not be saved, despite all of this that Yahuwah is going to do, it only means one thing. They don't really want to be saved. Yahuwah wants all people to be saved. That's, that's clear in Timothy. But for a person to be saved, he has to also want to be saved, right? Yahuwah will not save someone who doesn't want to be saved. This is why if ever there are those who are left behind, let us be hopeful. Because according to scriptures, there's going to be many who will come out of the great tribulation. No matter what happens, we must reject the beast, reject Babylon, reject the Antichrist, reject Satan, and uphold the Ten Commandments. And place our faith, especially, especially place our faith in Yahusha and worship only Yahuwah, our Father who is in heaven. Okay? So that's what Revelation 14 
is all about. Next time we'll talk about Revelation 15, which is the prelude to the wrath of God, the seven bowls of wrath that's going to happen just to come next. Okay, before we go ahead and part ways, let us first conclude with a prayer. Let us stand for our prayer. Almighty and merciful Father, Yahuwah Allahim, indeed you are compassionate. It is true that you want all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Father, please bless our hearts that we will truly repent. That, Father, when you send your begotten Son, we will be among those who will be caught up in the air to be with him, to be with you forevermore. Father, as we share these biblical truths, help us to be patient with our fellow men, especially our loved ones, our families. Help us, Father, that we will be your instruments in proclaiming mightily, boldly your commandments, that, Father, many more shall receive salvation. Thou working, Yahushua, you who died for us, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We stand here on earth awaiting your return. We look forward to that day when you will appear in the skies. It will be the day of our redemption because our bodies will be transformed to become like your body. Help us to be patient, to endure all things. When we are sick, teach us to place our focus upon you because we know when you appear from heaven, even if we have died, we will be resurrected. If we are sick, we will be completely healed. We will be filled with joy because when our bodies are transformed and we are in fellowship with you at the sound of that trumpet, it will be the, the great day of our salvation. Please help us to remain strong. Help us to be watchful. Help us to be faithful. That no matter what happens, we will remain focused upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.